Hello and welcome to the Lisper Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Tyrone, and I was going to call today's episode Accidental Courtesy, but I can't call it Accidental Courtesy because that's the actual name of the documentary and I don't want to steal the name. So I'm going to just call it The Black Klansman. Well, I don't want to call it The Black Klansman because ain't that the name of a movie or something? So I don't know what to call it. I'm going to just call it um Befriending? Frenemies. I'm going to call it Frenemies. Is that the name of a movie? Look, you know what? I don't give a fuck, yo. So, look, check this out, right? This episode ain't even going to have no fucking title because I can't come up with one. So, we ain't even going to have no title. We just going um, just gonna get right into it. Now, I can't remember how I stumbled upon this whole situation. I think I was um, I was clicking on Google and something popped up. Uh, uh, one of them articles popped up and I was clicking on it. And then, you know, how when you click on articles on Google, it's like clickbait. So it clicks you on one thing and then you start reading that and then it gives you all these lists of other articles and you start looking at them. It's like a fucking cycle of clickbait. Sometimes I fall for it, sometimes I don't. But this particular day, I think I fell for it. And I um, so I clicked on the shit and it was an article about a guy that was like talking to uh, like being friends with like Ku Klux Klan members or some shit like that. And I was just like, what are they talking about? You know what I mean? I just I, I didn't understand it. So I'm like, OK, let me. uh. Let me just see what this thing is talking about. So I um, so I click on it and I started reading it, and it's about this guy, and his name is um, Daryl Davis, and Daryl Davis was talking about how he had an encounter with a Klansman and how he decided to talk to him and how um, the Klansman actually talked to him and and, and he became friends with him, and I was like. Yo, what the fuck is going on with this talking about? And then I saw, uh, then I typed in his name and I saw that, uh, he had wrote a book called Clandestine Relationships, A Black Man's Odyssey in the Ku Klux Klan. And they had a documentary done on him called Accidental Courtesy, Daryl Davis, Race in America. And then I found out that the, um, the documentary was actually on, um, on Hulu. Is it on Hulu? It was on Hulu or Amazon Prime. It was on one of them. So I turned it on because I was like, I want to see what this is about. Because <laughs> this man is sitting here talking about he was friends with a Ku Klux Klan guy. And I'm like, how the fuck can a black man who is like a blues player be friends with a Ku Klux Klansman? So I watched the um the documentary and I got to say that the shit was, um, <laughs> was out there a little bit. This guy's a character, but it was very, it was quite interesting. And so I'm going to get into it. So this guy, uh... Daryl Davis was a um like a, a a guitar player, right? And he played back in the day. He was like a guitar player and a black blues player. And he played back in the day. And he said he played with like Elvis's band. He played with like Chubby. He played with a lot of old timers. I don't, I don't remember the names of all the people that he said he played with, but he he's a band member. He played a bunch of bands and he's got his own little group. And he was playing um you know touring across the country and playing. That that's his job. Like he he was a musician for. His job, that's how he earned a living in the world. But he also was one of those guys that, like, um, he goes and speaks at colleges and stuff like that. Now, after what he calls his other work, his side work or whatever you want to call it, what he does. So, um, the story is that he was in a bar. He was in a bar and he was, like, um, talking in the bar and this one guy that he had performed in that bar and the one guy came up to him and the one guy was like, you know, I've never heard music played like that. You know, um, you played a guitar really, really well, whatever. He compared him with some white guitar player or something. And the guy was like, well, you know, he started talking to him. And they kind of like 
over that time period had a long conversation and kind of became friends. And then the guy had informed him that he was like a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And so now he's sitting there and he's like, oh, God, I'm talking to this white guy. Now this white guy, after we didn't had a few drinks in this, decides to tell me that he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And now he's got it in his head that, you know, he's being set up. Maybe he might get shanked or shot or like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, man, this white guy, why is he talking to me? He's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He's setting me up. He pumped me for information. Whatever the case may be, he's kind of nervous about it. But this guy is basically like, um... No, it was cool talking to him or whatever. And this guy was a friend. And then later on during their conversation, this guy ended up giving up the tapes. He said this white man gave up the tapes and told him about some other clan members and gave up their information. Like gave him like their addresses and their phone numbers and how like gave him a way to get in contact with Ku Klux Klan members. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this white man gave him a way to get in contact with Ku Klux Klan members. That's kind of fucked up. This dude is a snitch. He's like trading on his people. But at the same time, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what are you, the FBI? What are you, the fucking CIA? What are you as a black man? Um, you know, like, what, what are you that you even want this information? It's like, as soon as that motherfucker would have said he's a Ku Klux Klan member, I would have, it would have been like, I would have had to either get on him and, and, and like, get out of there or I would have split his motherfucking wig. I would have bust his head the fuck open. I mean, can't you do that? I mean, seriously, seriously, let's think about it. Let's bump this scenario. So I'm in a bar. I'm a black man in a bar in Maryland or somewhere like that, wherever he was at. And this guy, this white guy is talking to me. And then he tells me he's a Ku Klux Klan member. If I bust him over the head with a bottle, if I split this motherfucker's wig open and kind of fuck him up a little bit, something, something, right? And then the police come and I get arrested, right? Can I say that he threatened me? Can I be like, yo, this was self-defense. He's a Klan member. He told me he was going to kill me. He, you know what I mean? Can't you say that? Because the clan member is, is going to be, if he's a clan member for real, it's going to be believable. Like the story is going to be believable. I'm thinking in my head that I would have split that motherfucker's wig wide open, bust him up to the white fucking meat, right? And then just said, yo, he told me he was a Ku Klux Klan member and he was going to kill me. He didn't want me playing in his town. He didn't like my music. He didn't like me playing no guitar in his fucking town. And he's about to call up his, he's about to call up his clan members and they're going to meet me outside and I'm going to get fucked up and killed. So I was fighting for my life. I was defending my life. Black lives matter. You know what I mean? Like all that. All of that. I would have had that built in excuse right in my fucking head because I would have split that motherfucker's wig. Or at least if I didn't bust him the fuck open, I would have got out of there, like, I would have left. Like, I'm not going to sit there and talk to him, and I damn sure ain't going to ask him about no information to get no other Klansmen's phone numbers. I was like, what? This dude is fucked up. What made him want the phone number of other fucking Ku Klux Klan members or their addresses or anything? Then I'm like, okay, I get it. He wanted their phone numbers and addresses. He about to fuck some shit up. My man about to go get his 18 and they about to dun, 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 pull up on the clean houses and bomb them, blow them up, fuck some shit up, start some fires on their motherfucking lawns. You know what I mean? We about to put some, um, we about to stick the Black Panthers on them. Like, I thought he was about to get busy on these motherfuckers. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. He wants the clean members information because he going to fuck them up. He about to go get some of his homies. He about to go get some members of the band. The guy who played the drums, you got your sticks, homie. <laughs> get your sticks. 
<laughs> get your sticks and shit. You know what I mean? Let's go. We gonna fuck somebody up. We gonna fuck some claim members up. But no, he didn't want it for that. He wanted it because he wanted to talk to these clan members. So I'm like, why the fuck does he want to talk to these clan members? So after that story, he goes on and says that he, as a child, always wanted to know about um about racism because he wanted to know why white people hate him. Why he said that the question in this here always was as a child about racism was why do you hate me when you don't even know me? And I thought that that question was fucking stupid. I'm like, that question is stupid. Why do they hate you? Bro, it's called racism. They don't hate you as a person. They're not going around saying, oh, we hate Daryl Davis. No, they don't hate Daryl Davis. They hate niggas. They hate black people. They don't hate you. They hate us because we're black. The reason why they hate you is because your skin color is not the same skin color as theirs. Duh. That's what racism is about. They don't know you, Daryl Davis. They don't have to know you. They hate you because you're black. They know you're black. They see you when you walk outside, your ass is black. You got brown or black fucking skin. And that's why they hate you, dog. Like, we all know that. That's what racism is about. Racism is not about hating somebody because you know them. That's not racism. That's just plain outright hate. You can hate your sister. You know that bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know your sister. You can hate her. Because that's your sister you know and you hate her because of who she is. That's not racism. That's not judging a book by its cover. That's normal shit. That's that's the normal way you hate somebody. So he's like, why do they hate me? Because they don't know, and when they don't know me, of course, because you're black. That's the only reason why they hate you. They don't have to know you to know you fucking black, dumb dumb. So I'm like, that question don't make no sense. But whatever floats somebody's fucking boat. You know what I mean? I'm not here to knock it. You know what I mean? I'm not here to judge. That's what floats his boat. That's what he wanted to go with. That's the question he always wanted to answer as a child. When I don't know why his mama or his daddy couldn't tell you that. You're black, boy. You're black. They hate you because you're black. You can be black and dumb. You can be black and smart. You can be black and rich. You can be black and poor. You can be black and anything. And none of the other shit don't matter. Your attitude don't matter. How nice you are don't matter. Your hair don't matter. Your clothes don't matter. Your social wealth don't matter. Nothing matters except for your skin color. And your skin color is wrong, son. You're black. And that's why they hate you. And his mom and his daddy could have told him that. But, you know, whatever. So his story is that he had that question his whole life and he wanted to ask somebody. And who better to ask than a Ku Klux Klan member? But I'm feeling like, too, okay, bro, you want to ask the Ku Klux Klan member why they hate you when they don't know you. Ask the one that you've been talking to right there. He seems cool. He gave up the tapes. Y'all have some drinks together. He's not going to kill you. Talk to him. Ask him real quick. He'll tell you. Oh, because you black, my man. You played a good tour good, and I'm talking to you right now. We had a few drinks, but I don't like you. I still hate you because you're black, and I still hate your people. I still hate your mom and your dad and your cousin and your sisters and your brothers and the people who made you and the people you going to make. I hate all of them. You're black. Get the fuck out of here. You know, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. And that's it. He could have told him that. But no, he wanted to talk to the, the other, um, some other clansmen. And so that's what he, um, that's what he decided to do. And don't knock it till you try it. You know what I mean? Whatever. So that's what he did. So he got the number of Roger Kelly. That was the guy that he got the information for. His name was Roger Kelly. And he was um 
one of the guys in the uh in the clan at that time. He was one of the guys who name and number and all this shit that he ended up getting. And now Roger Kelly was in uh what they call an Imperial Wizard. He was an Imperial Wizard of the clan. Like an Imperial Wizard, I guess, is one of their top, you know, one of their top dudes. And so uh he was one of their top dudes, the Imperial Wizard. And so he was um you know, a big shot in the clan. And so that's who uh, Daryl decided that he wanted to talk to. Cool, fine, and dandy, okay, player. So he didn't want to call him directly because he didn't want this guy to know that he was a black man. And he said his voice was black. He sounded black when he talked and all that. So he didn't want this clan guy to know he was a black man. And so um, he uh, he got his secretary to call. So his secretary called um, and uh, set up a meeting with this guy. And so that uh, that's what happened. His secretary called and set up a meeting with this uh, Roger Kelly guy. And before his secretary called and set up the meeting, he talked to the other clan member again. And the guy told him, said, no, don't talk to Roger Kelly. Roger Kelly's not the one you want to talk to. Roger Kelly is an imperial wizard. Roger Kelly will kill you. And he said he heard around, um, like around town and, and through going through other people, like Roger Kelly will kill you. Roger Kelly ain't fucking around. He's a top clan guy. He's protected or whatever. He will kill your black ass, right? And I'm like, dude, first of all, why'd you give me? Then I feel like I'm set up. See, here, here's how my mind works. My mind don't work like normal people. My mind works. I analyze and I overthink and I underthink and I do all kinds of thinking and I get involved and I just I just go crazy. My mind works like this. Why would you give me the information for this man when you know that this man will kill me? So I feel like you set me up. You gave me Roger Kelly's phone number. You want me to meet with him, but you you know he's going to kill me. And I think you want me killed now. I think you just gave me his phone number because you knew I was going to call him. You knew I was going to try to meet with him and you want me killed. And the only reason why you're telling me he'll kill me to clear your conscience. I told that, well, I told that motherfucker. I told that nigga. I told that nigga that Roger Kelly was going to kill him, but he didn't listen to me. He still wanted to talk to Roger Kelly. So that's not on me. It's not on me. I told him. But you gave him Roger Kelly's phone number and address. So you wanted him to get killed. But you wanted to act like you didn't want him to get killed. You know what I mean? That's how I would figure it. So I would be going back to you like, motherfucker, if Roger Kelly's a killer and he kills black people and he going to kill my black ass, why would you even, like, send me to him? So I don't know. Is this a clan set up? Do you clans go and befriend black people and then send them to Roger Kelly so they can get killed and buried in his backyard? Is that the plan? The jig is up, my nigga. <laughs> I don't fucking know. But anyway, he calls Roger Kelly and Roger Kelly agrees to um agrees to meet with him and agrees to the interview. So now he's um telling me uh telling us and telling everybody about how the interview went. Now I was not no longer interested in this story. I thought it was some cockamamie shit. I was like, this motherfucker's crazy and I don't you know I don't understand. I don't know why you would want to talk be friends with a clansman. This shit is bullshit and I was ready to turn it off. Until he described what happened when he got into the meeting with Roger Kelly. So here's what happened. He said, Roger Kelly, he said, um, when, when they got to, they met at a motel or hotel room or something like that. And he said, when they first knocked on the door, the, the secretary answered the door and it was a big, like a big white guy, 
like like the protector. He said they sent out a Nighthawk or a Night something. He's called a Nighthawk or a Night whatever. And this Nighthawk or Night Stalker or whatever they fucking called him, he's like the um he's like the bodyguard or the protector of the Imperial Wizard. So he was like his bodyguard. So he said the big white boy came in first and he had his gat in his hand, like ready, like gat, got the gat, put the gat on the table, put the gun down. You know what I mean? Let you know it's hammer time up in here. And then um, Roger Kelly comes in and he says um, he came out and he's black. And he said he already had his hands up. You know, he came out with like kind of like had his hands up, kind of like telling him, you know, hold up. I'm a black man, you know. And I just want to talk to you. Don't don't kill me. You know, this ain't no violent type thing. This is just an interview, like I said. And let's just talk. And so he said, um, so he said, Roger Kelly sat down. The Nighthawk sat down and he, and he sat down and they began a conversation. And um, he said he had like some uh, some drinks on ice, some soda or some um, some water, whatever on ice so that they can have something to drink and they can just have a normal conversation. And he said, um, he said they had the conversation and the conversation was like, it was okay, you know. Um, and he was saying how, you know, he didn't like any of the things that Roger Kelly had to say, but he respected Roger Kelly's right to say those things. And that's the same thing that Roger Kelly said to him. I don't, I don't like you. I don't like your question. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like talking to you, but you have a right to ask these questions. You have a right to talk to me. So it was like a mutual respect thing or whatever. Then they said, um, he said that he heard a noise, some kind of noise, like a squishing sound or some kind of crazy sound he heard. And, and he said, um, when he heard that sound, he got scared because Roger Kelly is a Klansman. And the Nighthawk was there and Roger Kelly was there and they both was there. And he said he heard the sound and he got scared. And he said, so he, um, he said, um, he was, uh, whatever, what was he doing? Oh, he got scared. <laughs> so he got scared and he got nervous. So he said when he got scared and he got nervous, he slammed his hands down on the table real quick and, and looked Roger Kelly in his eye. And he said, um, he said he was looking at Roger Kelly and he was looking at him. He was like, what the fuck did you do? You know, he said he was giving him this look like, what the fuck did you do? Or what the fuck are you going to do? Like, like, like a nervous, like, what are you doing? Kind of look. And he said to his surprise, Roger Kelly was doing the same thing to him, giving him a, what are you doing? Kind of look. So they both was kind of nervous and kind of scared that they was going to kill each other. He said, um, Roger Kelly looked at him. He looked at him. They both was looking like, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, Roger Kelly was looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? So both of them was kind of on, on antsy, you know, who won't bust a move? <laughs> I'm probably like, you know what? The Nighthawk party was cool as shit. The Nighthawk was probably sitting there holding his gun like, you know what? I'll kill both of these motherfuckers in here. You know, because that's how I would be. If I was the Nighthawk and I was the only one in there with the gun, I'd be like, you know what? I'll kill the black man. I'll kill Roger Kelly ass and this motherfucking secretary bitch. I will shoot everybody the fucking here if I hear another noise. So I ain't got to worry. They looking at each other crazy. The secretary bitch looking at me crazy. And I'm the one with the gun. So all of y'all chill the fuck out. That's how I would have been. But anyway, so he says that they were both looking at each other crazy. And then he said, um, the secretary realized that what happened was the water or the, or the soda or whatever that was in the ice thing the ice started melting and so the sodas and the waters were dropping to the bottom of the ice pail thing and that's what made the noise and the secretary figured that out and told them that that's what made the noise and so um everything was cool after that and they had a couple of conversations and they became cool and uh 
they actually became like cool enough that Roger Kelly done been over his house. He done been to Roger Kelly's home. They they actually kind of like became friends. And Roger Kelly took him to a few uh clan meetings. And Roger Kelly told um and he told Roger Kelly that he was more he felt more safer at a clan rally than he felt um with the police. And Roger Kelly actually went to a clan rally and said, "I respect this black. I have more respect for this black man than than, than I have for any of y'all." And I was just like, what the fuck? And so that kept my interest because I'm like, wow, the, like, you, you know how you fight racism? And you know how you think about racist people? And like, the Ku Klux Klan and Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan has got to be one of the most racist people on the planet. For, so for him to even embrace a black man, for him to even allow a black man to come into his home, for him to even bring a black man to a Klan meeting and tell them fucking Ku Klux Klan members, like, don't touch this motherfucker, he's my nigga. <laughs> not my nigga but you know what I mean like you know what I'm saying and then to bring him up there and be like yo I respect this black man more than I respect some of y'all I was like yo this is fucking crazy this is fucking crazy and then um I find out later on that Roger Kelly fucking gave him his robe came to his house and told him he was no longer gonna be a clan member he he uh he's changed his mind about his opinion on black folks and he gave him his um his clan robe Gave it to him. Said, "Here, here's my clan robe. Just, just as evidence, just as proof that I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not um doing this clan. I'm not. I'm not having this. I'm not being part of this. And you take my robe. And so, after that, Daryl decided that he was going to keep doing it. He was going to keep um talking to clans members. He was going to keep trying to get clans members to quit. And he was going to keep trying to um to get robes." And so that's what he did. He kept talking to different clan members, kept calling them, kept having these same kind of meetings, um, kept telling people about what he did for Roger Kelly, kept telling people about what he, you know, what he did for other folks. And then he um, talked to this guy, Frank Arcona. Now, Frank Ancona was another Clans member, big time Clans member. And um, Frank Ancona decided to talk to um, Daryl. And after Frank Ancona talked to Daryl for a while, him and Daryl kind of became cool, kind of became friends, kind of like, you know, the same shit. We're like him and Roger Kelly. And Frank Ancona brought um brought Daryl to the uh clan meetings and, and, and had him around the clan and was telling the clan that he was talking to him and all that. And the clan was not having it with Frank. They was like, Frank, the fuck you doing? You know what I mean? They was cool with uh they was cool with Roger Kelly doing it because Roger Kelly was an Imperial Grand Wizard. You know what I mean? <laughs> Roger Kelly was an Imperial Grand Wizard, whatever that is. Like, he was high on the fucking Ku Klux Klan totem pole. So they was like, you know, what are we doing? Our leader is fucking doing the shit. But I guess Frank Ancona was just a, 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 a up-and-coming. Maybe he was like a rookie of the year, about to move up or something. I don't, I don't fucking know. But Frank Ancona wasn't it. And they was like, yo, Frank, like, you drawing my... He's like, no, nah, bro, no. We not about to talk to these niggers. You're not about to bring that jigaboo up in here, my man. What is wrong with you? So they was not feeling Frank Ancona no more or whatever. So they was like, no, what? Nope. So the clan, he didn't have to quit the clan. The clan quit Frank Ancona's ass, right? So not only did the clan quit Frank Ancona, but Frank Ancona had bigger problems because his wife 
was into the clan too like it's a family affair like when you in the clan your family in the clan the whole thing it's a family affair right it's a family type deal so um frank and in 2017 february 11th was found shot dead february 11 2017 frank and corner ass was shot dead found shot dead and guess who went to jail for it that people went to jail for it, his wife and his stepson his wife and his stepson. So his wife and her son killed Frank for um for getting kicked out the clan for talking to Daryl. And I'm just like, damn, you know, I know Daryl, you meant to do well, but you didn't got this man killed. You didn't got somebody murdered. And it wasn't a black person like I thought, because I thought he was gonna get a black person killed. But he didn't get nobody else involved too. That's another thing. Daryl didn't get nobody else involved. He didn't get a wife involved. He didn't get a kid involved. He didn't take his nephew. He didn't take his brother, his cousin, nobody. He didn't get nobody else involved. And I think that was smart because I think he didn't trust these clan members fully. I think he thought that one of these one time he might go to this clan rally and they might have ourselves hanging tonight. You know what I'm saying? They might, or, or somebody might uh, catch him um, leaving out or or, or or find him on another day and, and get him. So I guess he was smart about not getting nobody else involved because he never said he took nobody else with him. He never said nobody else got involved. It was always just him and the clan members. But yeah, he got he got a man killed, though. Frank Ancona got killed. Okay? So then um, uh, the next time, he was on, uh, they, they was doing Geraldo. Geraldo, when Geraldo still had his, his, uh, his talk show or whatever, Geraldo had a talk show, and Geraldo had some, a clan family on there. Clan family on there, and it was a wife and a husband and these two girls, and they was clanned up. They was like, yeah, we members of the Ku Klux Klan. We hate niggers. We gonna kill them. We, we, want them, we want them out of our country, send them back to Africa. These motherfuckers was clanned up. And they had two little daughters, and the daughter was like 12 years old, and her daughter was like, how old are you? It's like, I'm 12 years old. And what do you think about your parents being clan members? I love it. We all clan members. We hate naggers. Like, she was into it, too. Like, these little, her and her sister was in it. They was like, you know what? You know, we clan members. We proud to be clan members. We proud to be white. We are supreme. They was in it. Her and her two sisters and her wife. The wife was, oh, man, his wife was real in it. She was yelling and stuff. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, they clanned down, right? So what had happened was the father ended up going to prison. He ended up going to prison, and he was going to prison for a minute. And um, these clan, these, these two daughters and his wife lived, like, far away from the prison. They lived far away from the prison. And Daryl goes and says, um, I'll, I'll drive y'all to the prison to uh, go see your dad. And first he said he called, he called the first time he got their number and he called the first time and that wife was like, fuck you, nigga. How'd you get my phone number? We're going to hunt you down. We're going to kill you. Like the wife was very adamant that she didn't want to talk to him. She was very adamant that she didn't want nothing to do with him. She was very adamant that she didn't understand who gave her the number. She was mad as shit. She was on some, yo, yo, get the, get the, um, <laughs> get the mask. Come on, let's get our hoods. Come on, let's go get him. You know, she was he, he was about to get himself killed for a minute. But then he volunteered to take her daughters um down to to the uh, to the prison to go see their father. And then he actually did it. He actually picked up those two clan little girls and drove them to the prison to see their clan daddy. To give him a visit. And I was just like, man, like, ain't that much fucking nice in the world. 
Like, they hate you, my man. Like, I'm not doing that. I was just like, you know what? Like, he's passionate about what he's doing and all. But, man, like, this shit is crazy. And I'm like, all these black guys is going to jail, all these black um people in prison, and, and ain't no white man. Never when I was in prison, ain't nobody <laughs> come to bring my daughters to visit and shit. No white man didn't volunteer to drive my daughter to come see me. I wasn't far, though, but still, I was like a bus ride away, like maybe like 30 <laughs> minutes. He drove them white bitches hours, a couple of hours down there to go see their daddy. But they appreciated it. Them girls were nails to clean. The, the wife uh, appreciated. The wife was on TV saying how um, she appreciated him doing that and how she's no longer a clans member and she turned her uh, back on the clan and the dad is not a clans member anymore and he's in prison now and he's befriended some blacks. And it was like, wow, bro. I was just like, you know what? You know, this is some good shit. This kind of is some, is some good shit. And then um, he said... uh. These clan members were supposed to have a clan rally. Now, this is the shit I did not understand. But I guess you got to do some things to be friends. Or I guess you got to, if you were really somebody's friend, you got to work some shit out. So they was having a clan rally. And they didn't have no way to get their clan members to the clan rally. And they said that they weren't allowed to rent any buses in that town. Because the, the, the bus people in that town said every time they rent buses, the clan, the clan rent buses, they get fucked up. Because they throw rock, people throw rocks at them. People throw eggs at the buses. People like graffiti the buses. Like the clan buses was getting fucked up. So the bus companies wouldn't rent the clans no buses. So he let the clan use his bus. He let the Ku Klux Klan use his tour bus to transport their Klan members to a fucking Klan rally. That's when I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with him? But it's a it's a means to an end. It's a means to an end. He was saying, I'm really your friend. You really need help. I'm really going to help you because we're friends. And even though I don't approve of what you're doing, even though I don't like what you're doing, even though it goes against my people, we're friends and I'm going to help you. I don't agree with that. I wouldn't have gave them motherfuckers my tour bus. I was just sitting here like, man, this man is going too far. What does he want? What does he want? His end game is to get clans members to stop being clan members. His end game is to stop the most racist people on the planet from being racist. I get it. I understand it. I like it in concept. But no, baby, I'm not going to be able to do it. Can you do it? I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it because I can't do it. I would have not gave them motherfuckers my bus. I'm not giving you a bus so you can take a bunch of home. Excuse me. Of white people to no rally so that they can pump their fists up about how much they hate black people. I'm not, I don't get it. So after that, he did all that and he's collected a bunch of robes and he met with this one clan member that he said he was going to invite him to his wedding. And the clan member's like, Yeah, I'm going to come to his wedding because he's a friend of mine. And he's went to a other couple of clan members' weddings and he collected all these robes and he, and he just, he, he did his thing. And he wrote his book, and then he got this documentary. He did his thing. So now um, all this other stuff starts happening, and Black Lives Matter starts happening, and they wanted to talk. To, well, I don't know if they wanted to talk to him. They just ended up having a conversation, and guess what? I'm going to go to commercial right now, and then I'm going to come back with the Black Lives Matter conversation, and I'm going to update you on what happened after that. But first, let me go to this commercial, and after these messages, we'll be right back. Y'all ain't heard that in a while. Y'all ain't heard that in a while. Or maybe y'all did. I say it a lot, 
in my podcast, not every episode, but y'all know what I'm saying. But listen, go on the commercial and I'll be right back. Okay, so welcome back. So now, after that, the documentary goes on, says some more stuff, and then they show him in like a bar and he's meeting up with some people that were like part of like, um, part of like the Black Lives Matter. Or whatever. So he met up with Kwame Rose. And Kwame Rose was the kid um, that got arrested for Black Lives Matter. Got arrested during the protest in Baltimore. He was one of those kids that, um, what did he do? Oh, he's the one, he's the light-skinned kid that confronted Geraldo during those riots in Baltimore when, when Geraldo was out there. And he was, like, yelling in Geraldo's face. And he was, um... Telling them how Geraldo don't report. You don't report about the fucking abandoned houses and you don't report about this and that. You you out here because of the riots and he yelled at Geraldo and all that and he got arrested out there. So it was Kwame Rose. It was the other boy, uh, Tyreek Torre. He met him. This guy is an activist and a, and a poet and a black guy from down there. And he met J.C. Falk. J.C. Falk was one of the um major activists down there, one of the leaders out there in Baltimore, one of the big name um marching guys out there, you know, part of the whole Black Lives Matter movement out there. So he met. Well, he didn't meet with all three of them. First of all, it showed him sitting there, and it showed uh, Tariq Torre and Kwame Rose was um, talking to him. And from my understanding of the interview, he wasn't really saying too much. Tariq Torre was saying that he didn't understand how, um, what was his point in in, in trying to convert um Black, trying to convert Ku Klux Klan's members, trying to get them to stop being Ku Klux Klan members. He didn't understand what was his point. He didn't understand why it was important for him to do that for black people. And then um, Kwame Rose was saying the same thing. Like, dude, what are you doing for us? You're not out there with us. We're marching for Black Lives Matter. We're supporting black folks. What are you doing? What you're doing is not supporting black folks. And what you're doing is not, you know, helping us at all. And he was talking about them saying that he was trying to integrate. So it became an argument over segregation versus integration. And he was saying how the way you guys are sounding, the way Black Lives Matter sounding, the way you guys are making it sound is that y'all rather, y'all ra- rather segregate us than, than integrate us with the white folks. And so Kwame Rose was on some type time like that. Kwame Rose was on some, yeah, why we don't have to be fucking with them white folks. Yeah, let's be segregated. Yeah, we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to be with them. And then he was saying how um, Dr. Martin Luther King even said it. He said Martin Luther King told uh, Harry Belafonte that he done integrated his, um, his people into a, a, a burning down house. He said that he done integrated his people into a burning down house, which means that he, he shouldn't have never got his black folks, he shouldn't have never, like, did this. He shouldn't have never, like, got the black folks in with the white folks because the, the house is burning down or whatever. So he was even trying to say that Martin Luther King was saying, like, maybe they, maybe we should have stayed separate. Maybe it was better for us to um change, sep- to stay separate. Um, I respect Tariq Torrey a little more because Tariq Torrey was talking about how, yeah, we shouldn't, we, we can be integrated and we can work with them, but how, you know, we got black businesses, we got our own money, we need to like support our own people, get our own money up, help black people to, to, to proceed and prosper more than, than like, it's more important work to be done for black folks than it is to be taking white people out of it. And I agree with him, and I wish that he got to talk more, but he ended up leaving, and I'll get into why he left, but he ended up leaving before the conversation even ended. And so um, I didn't get to hear from him too much, but the thing was, he left because um, 
Daryl made a comment to Kwame about him being uneducated, right? And so Tyreek was like, oh, now you're being disrespectful. I, I got to go because I don't, this is a, this conversation is becoming disrespectful and I don't like it and I got to go. And I respect him for that too. I respect him for that because I, if I feel disrespected by anybody, I get off the deep. Like once you disrespect me, I'm gone. I'm going, I'm zero to a hundred fucking real quick. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't got time. Like if I feel disrespected, I'd rather leave than, than, than be ready to fuck you up. You know what I mean? So I so Tyreek left, but I kind of got Daryl's point a little bit because Kwame introduced himself as being uneducated. When he first came up, he introduced himself. Um, my name is Kwame Rose. You know, I, I'm the one who confronted Geraldo. I'm a college dropout. And it's like, dude, why are you telling this man you a fucking college dropout? Like, is that part, that's the proud part of your resume? I'm a college dropout. That's part of your resume. That's how you introduce yourself to people? No. So you told him from the jump. You told him from the door that you was uneducated. And this man is going around speaking at colleges and you tell him that you're a college dropout. You told him that you were uneducated. And he did sound a little bit uneducated because he asked Daryl, like, why are you doing this? It's not helping black folks. Why are you befriending white folks? And Daryl basically said, because we have to live with them. And he said, why do we have to be friends with them? Why do we have to get along with them? He said, because we're Americans. They're American citizens. We're American citizens. And we have to live with them. And so we have to be friends with them. And then he said, you can't change people. And he said, I can change you because you're the same color as my skin as me, but you can't change no white folks. And he's like, what are you talking about? You can't change white folks. I've changed people. And he has. He has. I mean, he can't lie about that. He has changed some people. He's turned some Klansmen over. And they were asking him, like, how many roles have you got? You've been doing this since 1990. And he's like, oh, I got like 40 to 50 roles. And they were like, 40 to 50 roles? Like, that ain't shit. They was like, that ain't shit. That ain't nothing. All this time you've been doing all this work and you only got 40 to 50 people to change. And Daryl was like, no, I've got more memorabilia. I've got a lot of, and he's gotten over 200 or he has somewhere close to 200 clan members to change or whatever, or whatever. And he said that he took out the clan. Um, there was no clan chapter in Maryland. So he took them out too or whatever. So he was proud of the company, but they was like, yo, that ain't shit. And that ain't doing nothing to help black people. And Tyreek, like I said, when he said, he said to Kwame, he said, and all this is coming from somebody who's uneducated. And Kwame started going into like, oh, you don't tell Bill Case he's not educated. You don't tell this person he's not educated. This, this person don't have college degree. This person don't have college degree. You don't say that to them, all this other shit. And then he was like, I bet you ain't say that to them Klansmen you were talking to. And he was just like, you don't know what I said to the Klansmen. You don't know what I said to, the, to these white men. You don't know our conversations, which is true. If you didn't read the book, then you don't know what he said to them white men. But whatever. So that's when Tariq left. And then, and then Kwame kept talking to him. And then after a while, Kwame got up and left. And then JC came and JC sat down with him at first. And um, JC seemed like he was going to be cool. He was like, I just want to sit down with you. I just saw what was going on and I didn't like it. I didn't like how you talked to my young black brothers. I didn't like how you talked to Tariq. Tariq been out here. He been marching. He been preaching. He been doing everything he needs to do. Kwame um, been arrested. Kwame's been out here. Kwame confronted Rivaldo. He's been on the front lines with me since this shit happened. Then he started telling them, these people are dead. This person's dead. That person's dead. This is what the police did to this guy. This is how this person died or whatever like that. And you out here talking bullshit talking about the clan members and all this and you getting disrespectful and then and then i think jc lost it i think he he meant to have a conversation with daryl 
and he just couldn't control his emotions and he lost it. And then he's like, fuck your hoods. Fuck you and fuck your hoods. I don't give a fuck about your hoods. I don't give a fuck about the clan. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a shit. Who gives a shit? People is dead. We out here on the front lines and you ain't doing nothing. Fuck you. You get the fuck out of my town. Don't come back to Baltimore with that fucking shit. He like, yo, he went, he go berserk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went crazy on his ass, right? And then Daryl was right there. I was like, I can't talk. No, I can't talk. Now you're just going to leave. And he was just like, you can talk. You can talk, but don't talk that shit. Don't talk that shit up in here. So then, then, so then he started leaving. And Daryl was like, you see, you're being ignorant. And I admit that it was ignorant. Because you said what you had to say and you didn't let that man talk. So that was kind of like, that was ignorant a little bit. It was ignorant a little bit, but I don't think JC meant to be ignorant. Because when he came out, he's like, you an old head like me. I want to show you respect. But then he lost it and he did get ignorant because he didn't let him finish talking. He didn't let Daryl say nothing. They all left and Daryl was like, y'all don't know me. And he's like, fuck you. Fuck your hoods. Then then it was like, come out here and march. But then the funny part is they was like, come out here in our hood. Come in our neighborhood and I bet you you'd be scared. Come in our neighborhood. I bet you would go through this and all that. And Daryl said, I'll go with you. I'll march together. And then they was like, no, you ain't going with us. Fuck you. You're not marching with shit. We're not walking with you. And it's like, dude, y'all invited this man, told him to come to your hood. Come see what y'all going through. Come be on the front line. And he said he'll do it. Y'all just criticized him for not being on the front line. Y'all just criticized him for not being out there with y'all. And my man said he'll do it. He said, you know, all right, I'll get out there. Let's go. I'll walk right next to y'all. I'll be out there with y'all. And then they was just like, no, fuck you. Like, no, don't do it. Fuck you. So I was just like, God damn it. Like, I thought maybe Black Lives Matter could say, hey. You know, I thought they could, like, have a conversation and Black Lives Matter could say, hey, what you're doing is, is commendable. Because I think it is kind of commendable, but I do agree with Black Lives Matter. It ain't doing nothing for us. Yeah, you're changing some white people you're, and you're getting rid of some racism in the country. That's cool. But we, it, it, it's kind of like you're not doing nothing for us. And like I told y'all, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not talking to no clan members. I'm not befriending nobody who's a clan member. I don't really befriend a bunch of white people anyway. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you're black. I ain't going to lie. Black people already look at you funny when you're friends with white folks. They already look at you funny when you hang with white folks. They already look at you funny when, 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 you, when you're at white folks' houses. You know what I mean? And it's not their fault. It's not their fault slavery happened. It's not their fault. Racism happens. It's not their fault. Police brutality and the police are killing us and all this stuff happens. And it does make us feel some type of way about white people. You know what I mean? And it's just like the police. All police are not bad. But if you're a cop and you're not spilling the beans on it, I couldn't be a cop. Like I said, your conscience got to start bothering you. As a black cop, your conscience got to start bothering you. As a white cop, if your conscience don't bother you, you're a bad cop. You're part of it. It's like to say you're a gang member, right? But you ain't doing none of the killing. It's like, okay, I'm in the gang, and I know the gang is killing and robbing people. And I, I, I roll with them, but I don't kill or rob nobody, but I'm still part of the gang. No. That's why I said I couldn't be a cop, because I would have to quit. Because now y'all doing shit that y'all ain't supposed to be doing, and I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be associated with it. I can't be a part of it. So when you got clans members and you got white people, it's hard. I get it. I understand. So when you saying that, you know, when I'm looked at funny for having relationships with regular white folks that I know ain't racist for real, that I know will march with me and Black Lives Matter, that I know feel the same way I feel about my people almost. Not totally, because they can't. But you know what I mean? I know white people that, you know, like I said, my friend Joe, that, that's my brother. I call him, that's my brother. You know what I mean? He'll stand by me with anything. 
He'll stand by me with anything. So when I'm already looking at funny with my relationship with him, I'm not about to tell nobody that I'm friends with somebody who in the Ku Klux Klan or who was in the Ku Klux Klan or who associates with the Ku Klux Klan in any way whatsoever. So I do kind of commend Daryl for doing that, but I kind of understand where Black Lives Matter is coming from. It's like, yo, that ain't the answer. That ain't how we get rid of racism. That ain't what we doing out here. You not out here with it. So I saw both sides of the queen, but I thought that maybe they could get together and talk and be reasonable with black men it didn't work out and i was sad about that i was like damn this is a bad part of the documentary but i got both sides and i understand what each person was saying so um i was like wow that's fucked up and then the documentary went on to show how daryl still continued his work still went to colleges still talked to people still told people what he was doing and, and everything was cool like that then um I was like, they couldn't have ended it like that. You know, the documentary was in 2016. That was four years ago. So I was wondering, like, what the fuck has happened since then? You know what I mean? I know this was four years ago. I was like, I know there's got to be some kind of update. There's got to be something going on. So I looked it up and I found some more interviews on YouTube where these people had actually met back up to try to squash the situation. And that's when the real story came out. So when they made up and talked again... David said that um that we only saw eight minutes of what really happened that day when he met up with, with Tariq and um and Kwame and JC. He said we only saw eight minutes of it. And he said there was a lot more conversation and there was a lot more shit that went on that we didn't see, and so we might not have the proper um view. Of what happened there on a documentary. And then and then the way they was both talk, the way that everybody was talking was like it was almost like a setup. It was like Daryl was like the documentary told Daryl, okay, we're gonna go to this bar and we're gonna see if we can meet up with some of these people from Baltimore, some people from Baltimore out here that's been marching and the riots are going on, and we're gonna see if we can meet up with some of them, see if you can have a talk to. So he wasn't told any information on these guys. He wasn't giving no information on Tariq Torre. He wasn't giving no information on Kwame. He wasn't giving no information on JC. He was just basically told that these guys were going to be around and they was going to come talk to him. And he basically, like, they all was put out on front. Like, he didn't know nothing about them. So he didn't really know how to start the conversation. He didn't even really know what their mindsets were or where they were coming from or how they was even going to approach him. And the same thing happened. Um, Tariq, did, Tariq didn't... Uh, Show up for the new meeting, the second meeting. I guess he was, you know, too done with it. Or I guess he didn't care anymore. Or maybe he was busy. I don't really, I'm not going to speculate that he didn't want to. I'm not going to speculate that he was done with it. I'm just going to say that he wasn't there. So Kwame Rose said that he basically got off a bus. Got off a bus and was bombarded by these people and was told like, yo, there's a camera crew over here. And there's a guy in here and he wants to talk to you. Said he wasn't given any information. He did not schedule an interview. He wasn't planning for it or nothing. He said he basically was bombarded off a bus, ran into there, and and saw Tariq there and was like, okay, it's cool to talk to him, and just basically got thrown into a situation where he was going to have a conversation with this man. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know who Daryl was. He never heard of him. Kwame didn't know who um, Tariq didn't know who Daryl was. Daryl didn't know who they was for real. None of that. JC said that he wasn't involved at all. He said he showed up there and they, they, they kind of did the same thing to him. They took him in and they were like, yo, we're going to talk to this guy real quick. We want you to come in and, and, and see what's going on and maybe have a conversation with this guy or whatever. And he said he was thrown into the mix too. But he said when he got in there, he saw Tariq, he saw Kwame, he saw a couple of other people there that he knew. So he thought that everything was going to be cool. 
And then he said after he sat back and heard the guy talking to them and he heard all the shit, you know, how it, it all got disrespectful. He kind of like went off the deep end too. like, what the fuck do y'all got me in? Why is I'm here? What's going on with this? This is some bullshit. Like everybody was thrown into the mix on some bullshit. For real. Everybody was thrown into the mix on some bullshit. And now it, it leads me back to, like I said, how people would set you up. Yeah, you wrote a book. Your book was cool. Yeah, you got this guy that's going to do this documentary. And he's supposed to be doing this documentary. And everything's supposed to be cool. And yeah, you're supposed to be making some money or whatever you're supposed to be doing. You got a deal. And this guy's supposed to be shining light on your work and what you're doing. And here it is. He didn't set you up to fight with some of your people. That's how I felt. When I saw the second interview and they was talking about how this was set up, I was like, this man then set these black people up to put them against each other. He purposely set them up against each other. That's why he didn't tell Daryl about their opinion of how they was doing. He set up after, um, animosity between them from the jump. And Daryl said it too. Daryl said, I said a lot of things because I feel like I'm a be, I was attacked and I'm a man and I defend myself. So when they came at me, I felt like I was being attacked. So I said some things back or whatever, whatever. And JC said he got mad because you said Kwame sucks Obama's dick. And I was just like, what? I didn't hear that on the first show and I was cracking the face. He said, Kwame, you be sucking on that Obama dick. <laughs> and then Daryl kept saying, I didn't use the word dick. I don't think I said dick. And he's like, no, what I heard, man, I don't know if you're mistaken, but I heard you say you suck. Kwame sucks Obama dick. He's been sucking on Obama's dick. And he was like, no, I made reference to him being, you know, on Obama and, and being all caught up with Obama. And he was like, no, you said he sucked a dick. Like, he was getting adamant. Like, he was adamant that the word dick was used. Daryl said, I don't think I used the word dick. Kwame was basically like, I don't know. I don't even remember this shit. I think he gets high. I ain't going to speculate, but he looks like he might get high or whatever. But anyway, so they, they, they conversated, and they realized that they didn't know enough about each other, and they didn't even try to find out about each other because they were thrown into a situation, and the whole situation was kind of manipulated. And like he said, we they talked for over an hour, and we only saw eight minutes of it, and so we had to base our opinions on that eight minutes because I surely based my opinion on that little bit of eight minutes, but that wasn't the whole situation. And they've come to terms. I'm not going to say that they're friends. I'm not going to say that they agree with each other. I think they come to terms. And Daryl has said that he's not going to stop and he thinks that his work is good work. And Kwame has said that they're not going to stop and Black Lives Matter is still going on and Black Lives Matter is still doing their work. And, um, and they were talking about maybe that we should, uh, radicalize America or something. But I don't, I don't want to get into that. And they did have a mediator. They did have a mediator, and the mediator kind of knew what he was doing because he was asking questions, and if it started getting heated, he was kind of like changing the subject. He was kind of like, and you said, because when they were talking about Kwame sucking on Obama's dick, he was like, well, Kwame, what do you think about his work now? Like, you know what I mean? Getting him off of that. Like, let's not talk about Obama's dick sucking. That's what set it off the first time. Let's get off of that. And then he was talking to JC, and JC was talking about, you know, snapping on him and talking, and, and he started saying, like, well, you were disrespecting me. You didn't let me talk. And, all. and they, they almost got heated again a little bit but then he had to he calmed it down and Kwame calmed it down a little bit more too because Kwame had already previously met with Daryl before this so so this was the second this was the third time that Kwame was sitting down with Daryl so he kind of knew more about him so he kind of was like chilling JC out a little bit so they made up but they didn't come to grips like they didn't say okay what you're doing is great what I'm doing is great or we gonna participate they didn't come to that kind of terms but they came to terms where they did have an intelligent conversation they did start to appreciate what each other was doing and 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 that's what worked for them and with that being said um I gave a little bit of my opinion of it but here's what I got to say you can do 
anything, any action to get rid of racism is a good action. You know what I mean? I don't care what it is. Any action to get rid of racism is a good action. Talking to people, having communication is good action. Getting Klu Klux Klan, getting people to stop being racist, especially the most racist people on the planet to come to get the most racist people on the planet to stop being racist is good action. It is. And it's commendable. It is. But I feel like you're doing something to they, they said that he was doing it and it was like a fetish for him. He was doing it to pump his own self up. He was doing it to to make his own self look better. And I kind of agree with that. I'm like, yeah, you've turned over 200 clan members. Yeah, that's an accomplishment for you. But that's a self-accomplishment. What what about for the rest of black people? So I was thinking like, yeah, well, you were doing that, but you could have also did. You put a lot of hours into that, but you could also put a lot of time and energy. You could have marched. You could have wrote some freedom songs. You're a musician. You could have wrote some songs. You could have did some. um, What is it? Some concerts like some uh, some of those concerts, some nonprofit concerts for like Black Lives Matter or something like that. There's a lot of other things that he could have done that Daryl could have done. And I feel like he didn't do. That I feel like this was his sole mission and he was like single focused on that. But I also feel like the Black Lives Matter people gotta do gotta show him some respect that he is um getting some of the most racist people on the planet to not be racist. But at the same time, you can't walk around and say you're friends with clan members. Now you can talk to them, you can communicate with them, and, and once they quit, you can say, Okay, I'm friends with him. He used to be a clan member, I got him to stop being a clan member, but at the same time, you can't be friends with somebody who who who's a clan member. I just didn't, I just didn't understand that work. Like if that was my uncle and Daryl would have said, Hey nephew, I'm friends with, with Roger Kelly. And I said, who is Roger Kelly? Oh, he's an Imperial wizard in the Ku Klux Klan. That's like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. So I see how the Black Lives Matter people was feeling because they sitting there saying that this guy is walking up and he's friends with clan members. He's got a Ku Klux Klan member is going to be invited, going to be your best man invited to his wedding. He's marrying a white woman. So it's like, yo, what the fuck? This dude ain't black. Like, he ain't my nigga. Like, we marching. We out here. Black people is dying in these streets. And we out here. We getting arrested. We marching. We protesting. And you want to sit here and tell me that this man is inviting clan members to his wedding. He's marrying a white woman. Fuck out of here. That's the same mindset I would have. Fuck him. Fuck out of here. But I get it. Everybody tries to fight racism in their own way. I, I guess I get it. I don't know, because I wouldn't be friends with no clans members, and I'm not really even, a, I'm not really doing nothing to fight racism for real, you know what I mean, I'm out here, and I did my Black Lives Matter podcast episode, and if you didn't hear, you can go back and listen to it, and I support Black Lives Matter, like, I'm not against it, I'll wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, I'll talk about it, like I said, I'm part of the media now, so I feel the obligation to talk about our social injustices, so I'll talk about it, and if anybody, um, <clears throat> is having an event, Anything that they want me to come to, they want me to come march, they want me to be a part of it, they can hit me up. I'll do it. And then my friend Esan, he, um, Esan, I, I was cool. I went to high school with him and he's doing big things and he has, a, um, my brother's keeper, uh, my brother's keeper organization. They deal more with like, um, what is it? They do more with like suicide, like mental health and stuff like that. But they're they're part of the community and they're and they're part of they understand the plight of black folks and he's black and they're part of Black Lives Matter and all that. And and I'm gonna have him on my podcast and we're gonna talk to him and we're gonna do some interviews and stuff like that. So I'm involved, you know, I'm involved as much as I can be involved, but I can't knock nobody who's doing something. Daryl's doing something. He's doing something. 
He ain't doing what I would be doing. He's not doing what the Black Lives Matter people think he should be doing, but he's doing something. And it's still amazing. It's still amazing that he's gotten over 200 clans people to actually like sit down and have black folks in their home to sit down. And, and he's changed the opinion of some very, very racist people to like black folks now. And you can't I can't take that away from him. I can't take that away from him. So, with that being said, this is the end of my episode, and um, it don't have no title. Did we come up with a title? No, we did not come up with a title for this episode. So, I'm going to just say, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to just call it a uh, clan friend or something. <laughs> I don't fucking know because I couldn't come up with no title for it, but I'm done it. I'm done it. And um, so, that's it. So, now I'm going to go into my little thing. Y'all know what I'm saying. Like, listen. You got a business and you and you and you want me to advertise it. Or you got anything you want me to do, you want me to attend something, you want to put your event, you you want to have an event, you want me to advertise your event, you want me to come to your event, you want me to podcast live from your event, I will podcast live from your event. You know what I'm saying? I'll do anything. Just um tell me what's up. So if you got a business, you want to run a business, you want me to advertise your business, you got an event, you want me to podcast from your event, you want me to do anything, hit me up, and I'll do it. I'll come to your event, I'll podcast it, I'll do anything you want me to do. Um, Just listen to my podcast, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell the baby, tell everybody that you can tell, share it on Facebook, comment on Facebook, hit me up on Facebook, message me on here. If you got my number, you can call me, you can message me, like, like look out. Do whatever you want to do. You could be a guest. Whatever you want to do, I'm down. Let's 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 do this together. Let's make this podcast pop. And until then, I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Lisper Podcast. Once again, I am your host Tyrone, and today's episode is called "Not Over the Hill." And today's episode is called "Not Over the Hill" because it's about how cancel culture in America has not stopped Jamel Hill. Now, before I get into Jamel Hill, I'm gonna say this. Jamel Hill is a successful black woman in America, which right now is one of the hardest things you can be. I'm sorry, it is. Everybody wants to talk about the black man in America. Everybody wants to talk about the black man getting killed by the police. But guess what? We got Breonna Taylor. We've got black women in this country that have been killed by the police. And also, we've got black women in this country that are struggling with trying to raise black men when um, their husbands, their baby fathers, their their men, their dads, a lot of men, black men in their lives are not around because some because of their communities, some because of the unfortunate situations, and others because of the racism in this country have had them either killed or incarcerated unjustly. You know what I mean? So a lot of these black women in this country are coming up now with having to try to raise black men and try to handle black families without the support of a husband, without the support of a of a dad, without the support of a baby father or, you know, without the support of a man at all. And that's hard. That's hard. But then to be a successful black woman is extremely hard, especially when she's in the sports world. A successful black woman in the sports world in America today is like, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to be. Because not only do she have to deal with the racism, not only do she have to deal with the racial issues and all of the issues that are going on right now in this country with black people. And she has to deal with all of that. She also has to deal with the fact that she's got to try to be politically correct in dealing with all of the racial shit that's going on in this country. In dealing with 
the president that we have right now. And then with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter and all that stuff, she has to be politically correct because of her job and what she's doing in order to deal with all that. But not only that, she's a woman. And no matter what we try to say, just like we try to sit up here and deny racism, just like we try to sit up here and act like racism ain't real, act like shit ain't racist, act like the president ain't a little racist, act like stuff that's going on ain't racist, act like this is not a racist country. And we got to sweep all the racist shit that happens under the rug. We got to try to kind of sweep the racist shit under the rug. The same way we're doing that is the same way we were treating sexist shit. The same way we were treating the mistreatment of women in the workplace. Now, I'm not saying that Jamel Hill ever had a Me Too moment. I don't know if she had a Me Too moment. As far as I know right now, I haven't heard of her having a Me Too moment. But the, still, the fact of the matter is that she could have. Still, the fact of the matter is that as a woman, she could have had a Me Too moment. Still, the fact of the matter as a woman, she knows that she's in an environment where a Me Too moment can occur. And I'm pretty sure that some of her colleagues, some of her friends, some women that she know have had me too moments you see what i'm saying and she has to deal with that as well she also has to deal with the sexist shit i know it's some sexist shit going on in jamel hill's life because she's doing a job that i've heard plenty of men say a woman shouldn't be doing when she started hosting the fucking sports center she started hosting the sports center and and i know for a fact that people were mad that men were mad that a black woman a black woman was fucking hosting sports center I know that men were mad about that. So Jamel Hill has had a lot of hills. <laughs> That's a fun, right? Jamel Hill had to climb the hill. You know what I'm saying? But Jamel Hill has had a lot of hills to climb. And, and then she tried. they tried it. Cancel culture tried it with her. They tried to take her down. But you know what? You know what? You can't fuck with a strong black woman. For real, for real, America's going to learn that. America's going to learn that. You can't fuck with a strong black woman. You really can't. You really can't. We learn that every day in the streets. I learned that from my mama. We learn. You can't fuck with a strong black woman for real because she's not going to take your shit. She's not going to take your shit. She's not going to bow down. She's going to remain strong. She's going to do what she got to do. And Jamel Hill did what she had to do. And cancel culture is not taking her out. She's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just banging to me. I just love the fact that a strong black woman in this country don't have to worry about being taken out by cancel culture because at the end of the day, Jamel Hill is unbothered. That's the <laughs> that's another fact. She's got a uh, she's got a podcast called Jamel Hill's Unbothered, and so I, I put that in there too. You see, I'm doing my shit. I'm throwing my shit in there. I'm doing some shit, but yeah, she's got a podcast on Jamel Hill's Unbothered, and you know one thing for sure and two things for certain: a strong black woman don't give a fuck. She don't give a fuck. She's going to stand up for her family. She's going to stand up for her views. She's going to stand up for herself. And if you don't like it, you know, she's get, you get down or you lay down. Yeah, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. But it's still, fact of the matter is, it's hard being a strong black woman. And, and it's hard. It's hard working for ESPN at all. As a black person, as a white person, it's hard. You know what I mean? My man, I, I, I commend Stephen A. Smith. He's kept his job there for a long time at ESPN, and they like him there. And I've heard people call him my Uncle Tom. I don't think Stephen A. Smith is an Uncle Tom. I don't think of Stephen A. Smith as an Uncle Tom. I think of Stephen A. Smith as a black man. He said his point of views. He, he's been able to express himself, and he's gotten himself in trouble a little bit, too. He's got himself in trouble a little bit, too, but he's able to express himself. But it's still hard. It's still hard. 
You know what I mean? It's hard for a black man. So I can imagine. I think that Jamel probably had it doubly hard. But I'm going to get into. Um, I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to say that I commend all you black women. All you black women in America right now need to be commended. I don't care if you're in prison. I don't care if you had a rough life. I don't care what you're doing. You can, you still got to be commended because as hard as it is to be a black man in this country, it's hard to be a black woman, especially if you're trying to be successful in this country. So for all my black women, stand up for yourself. I commend you. And for all you black young girls coming up, whether you play sports, whether you're interested in sports, you're interested in broadcasting, you want to be on TV, you want to get down, yo, Jamel Hill is a role model. <clears throat> Jamel Hill is a black woman that you can look up to. When y'all go back to school and y'all do y'all history reports, y'all do that. Listen, listen, when y'all do y'all black history reports, black history mother, put Jamel on there. Put Jamel on that paper. Jamel Hill is a black woman that you can put on your history reports that you can be proud of, that you can support, that you can say, hey, this is what I aspire to be when I grow up. That 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 can be a role model for you. All that. All that. Give Jamel Hill her credit, give her her props because cancel culture in America did not stop her. And even though, and, and I like the fact that too, that she's a woman that um accepts her flaws. She knows she has flaws. She ain't sitting up here acting like she's perfect. She ain't sitting up here shooting her nose down to nobody else. She's being real. She's keeping it real and she accepts her flaws. So now I'm just going to get into um Jamel Hill. I'm not going to act like I know everything about her. I'm not going to act like, I just told you, I didn't know she had a Me Too moment. I just told you that, um, you know, she could have. We don't know. All I know about Jamel Hill is this. When when I uh, was watching ESPN, first of all, I know she wrote for the Detroit Detroit Free Press. I know she's from Detroit. I don't know if she's from Detroit because I didn't have to look that up because she puts on for her city. She puts on. Like, you know Jamel from Detroit. There ain't no doubt about it. She didn't talk about the Pistons. She didn't talk about being from Detroit. She put on for her city. So everybody knows she's from Detroit and I know she wrote for the Detroit Free Press because I think I heard them say something about that or I, I just know it. I don't know where I got that information from, but I know she worked for the Detroit Free, Free Press as a writer. I know that. But I was watching um, ESPN and I see her and every now and then she was on first take. I see her every now and then on outside the line, sports reporters and all that stuff. I used to see her around and I used to be like, yo, she cute. That's all I was thinking about. I was like, that little, that girl cute. I mean, she a little bit older than me, but I ain't going to put a woman age out there because I ain't, so I'm not going to tell you all my age, but Jamel a little bit older than me, but I was seeing her on Sports Center, seeing her on little, you know, little features on outside the lines. They, oh, we going to talk to Jamel Hill. I used to look for her. I used to be like, is Jamel going to be on the outside of the line today? Is Jamel going to be on around the horn? Like, I looked for Jamel because I thought she was cute. I was like, Jamel kind of cute. I like her. I mean, and then the same token, it's a black woman talking about sports. Like what man, what black man don't love a black woman that know about sports? I love a black woman I can watch a football game with. Now I ain't got to explain this shit to her. I love a black woman I can watch the basketball game and we can cheer. And, and she's a Pistons fan. I'm a Lakers fan. So I hate her and she hates me. But we would have had a good time because it would have been like, yo, like them bad boy Pistons. Like, okay, whatever. We would have had them conversations. I mean, she's in my age group. We would have been around. We could have talked about Isaiah Thomas and Magic. We could have talked about all that. We could have talked about them fucking Celtics, how much we hate the Celtics. We could have talked about the Bulls beating the bad boy Pistons and beating Magic and the Lakers and Jordan and all the hate that we have for Jordan and Knicks and all of the Bulls. We could have gotten into it. That would have been a good thing. So it's like, yeah, Jamel's the shit. When I used to see on sports, I was like, this girl's the shit. Like, if I ever had a chance to meet her, I would have hollered. 
I would have shot my shot at Jamel. Like, straight up, I would have. I ain't never get that chance. Now she married now. She's mad. She's like, she's got a husband now. Yeah, Jamel got married. She's got a husband now, so, you know. I thought maybe she would marry Michael Smith. But Michael Smith, I think he's already married. I don't know, but I thought they had good chemistry. I was like, they would have made a decent-ass couple, too, but it don't matter. Jamel's married. I didn't never get a chance to shoot my shot, but that's all I, that's how I remember her. I remember Jamel Hill because I used to be like, yo, she cute. I like her. And I used to like her and she talked about sports and she knew what she was talking about. She, she knew what she was talking about too. And that was cool too. It's like, not only can she talk about sports, but she knows what she's talking about. So that was cool. So she was on um ESPN. She was doing a lot of stuff in there, and I was like, okay, cool. And then in 2008, she said something about Hitler in the article. She said um, uh, she said she couldn't root for the Celtics because she didn't want to root for the Celtics in the playoffs. Like rooting for the Celtics was something like like Hitler was a victim. Uh, she said something like rooting for the Celtics is like saying that um Hitler was a victim or some shit like that, something like that, and. Oh, everybody went crazy. Because, you know, you can't, you work for ESPN. You got to be politically correct. And for real, for real, you can't say nothing about Hitler. Like, you can't make any kind of Hitler references in this world. Like, you black, you can't make a Hitler reference. Like, I mean, I know Jamel knows, knows that. I mean, Deshaun Jackson just recently did it. And it's like, damn, Deshaun, you don't know that? You don't know that you can't reference Hitler. You can't say, uh, you can't even say Hitler. Like, don't even say his name. Like, Hitler's not nothing you can bring up when you black and you in the media or you in sports. Like, you just can't reference that man, right? And you know you can't do that. So, I mean, Jamel slipped up. She slipped up. And then it, and then it, and then it became a race thing because it was kind of race related because Detroit was like Motor City. That's like some black people shit like Detroit was black Detroit was like a, you know Detroit is a black town as far as I know as far as I'm concerned as far as all I've heard Jalen Rose talked about it I know Jamel talk about Detroit everything I hear about Detroit is, is black it's like it's like black right and then when you think of Detroit you think of the bad boy Pistons you think of like Isaiah Thomas and Adrian Dantley and and uh what is it you know you think of those guys um what is it Joe Dumars you know what I mean? Yeah, Bill Lambert was on that team too. Bill Lambert was on that team, but Bill Lambert was a thug. He was like, he was like, Bill Lambert was like down with the homies. Like he he was white skinned, but he was black. Like inside his body. He was one of, you know? He was a bad boy piston. Like yeah, it wasn't nothing white about um Bill Lambert for real. You know what I mean? So them 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 bad boy Pistons and and then Dennis Rodman, you know what I mean? It was it was the bad boys. Everything about Detroit was bad. Everything about Detroit just screamed black. You know what I mean? It just screamed black. So when you say um root for the Celtics is like saying Hitler was a victim, and then and then they say, oh, this is race related because you're a black person and a black woman saying that, and it's like it is race related though. It is race related because when I think about the bad boy pistols, I think black. When I think about Detroit Motor City, I think black, right? And then you think about Boston, and you don't think black. You think about Kevin McHale. You think about Larry Bird. You think about Danny Ainge. You think about Boston, a nice little white town. Like, you think about white. You don't think about black in Boston. Nothing black about Boston. Yeah, the chief was there, but, like, it's the same thing like Lambert. Chief, you know, he was black, but you know. 
You know where I would go. When you think about Boston, you're thinking about Larry Bird, Danny Ainge, Bill Lambert. I mean, not Bill Lambert. <laughs> Larry Bird, Danny Ainge. You know what I'm saying? So you think about um, um, Kevin McHale. You think about that. So Boston is basically essentially white. And Detroit is essentially black. And that was the dynamic. That was the dynamic. So it's like, okay, we got Detroit and Boston. They black. The bad boy Pistons hated the 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 uh the Boston Celtics. The Lakers was a part of that whole thing too. But the Lakers was on the West Coast. You don't think about the Lakers like we didn't. The Lakers wasn't black or white. They was like California love. You know what I mean? So the Lakers was just Showtime, and they had Worthy and Kareem and Magic. So they kind of you thought black, but then you know the Lakers was just the Lakers. They was out in L.A. La la whatever. Because I'm a Lakers fan, so I'm not gonna say nothing about the Lakers. The Lakers was the best showtime. We won't leave it at that. But yeah, Boston and, and Detroit, that's black and white. It's a race thing. And so, you know, that is kind of like a race issue, a race thing. And so they put it out there like that. They didn't have to. Nobody had to put it out there like that. She could have just apologized and let it go, but they wanted to put her out there as race. And then it was like, okay, so now what are we going to do here? Um, ESPN got a safe face. Everybody's got a safe face. So they said, okay, Jamel, you know, it's cool. You said it. We going to suspend you. So Jamel got suspended for like a week. I think it was like a week or something. She got suspended. It was like a little under the cover suspension though. It was like, I ain't seen Jamel with Jamel. And then it was like, oh, Jamel Hill suspended. What? You know what I mean? It wasn't like a thing where it was broadcast. Like, oh, Jamel Hill suspended for saying that. It was just like, you know, we suspended her. And they had to suspend it to say face so that the big time people that knew wouldn't say shit. But the little people that was watching TV like me, I didn't know she was suspended. I found out she was suspended like, you know, don't you know that I heard it through the grapevine. You know what I mean? I, that's how I found out. Okay, Jamel was suspended for that. And it was cool. It was like, Jamel, you said something about Hitler? Yeah, yeah, suspend her ass. You deserve it. You should be suspended. Not fired. Just let's point that out. Not fired. You know what I mean? Not fired. Suspended, not fired. Cool, you got to be punished for that. That was bad. Don't say nothing about Hitler. You black, don't do that. Okay, cool. But then I find out that Lou Holtz, who was the coach of Notre Dame at the time, same year, made a Hitler reference too. He made a Hitler reference too, and nobody said shit. Nobody said shit. It was just like, oh, he's cool. He can say that. So he can make a Hitler reference because he's white. Is that, is that how it go? So then I got pissed. At first, I accepted Jamel Hill's suspension. I was like, Jamel Hill's suspended, cool. But then I started hearing about this white um, this white man that, that, that made Hitler references that nothing happened to. Notre Dame, nobody ain't say shit. He was coaching Notre Dame, nobody ain't say nothing. It was like, he was cool. So now it's like, okay, player, what, 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 what do we have here? Hmm, the fuck is going on? But we just going to digress from that. And Jamel knew she was wrong. She felt bad about it. Like, she felt so bad about it that they said that she wrote an article this year, 2020, that um that said how bad she felt about the uh the the whole Hitler comment and that she apologized and, and you know it was this year. So even more than a decade later, Jamel Hill still is taking responsibility for her actions, still saying that you know. That was a bad thing that she did, shouldn't have done. And she's still showing remorse and regret for making that comment. So, I mean, what the fuck? Like, that's cool. You did it. You, you got suspended. You apologized for it. And you showed remorse for it. And you realized that that was the wrong thing to do. And that wasn't 
a political that wasn't like an opinion that wasn't like a political stance that wasn't like it was more like probably like a little like a little joke you know what i mean it was more like a little joke it was in bad taste she admitted that she moved on and espn moved on then she started the um this is her podcast with uh with michael smith I never heard of that podcast. I never knew it was a podcast. I never listened to it or nothing. I just know that they had this show called Numbers Never Lie. And it was a show called Numbers Never Lie. And they was doing all this stuff about numbers. And they had the little screw. And I used to watch that show. And I liked it. I thought it was fun and funny. And then Jamel started getting on that show. And I was like, oh, that show is cool. And Jamel was on it. And I was like, okay. So in 2011, I was watching Numbers Never Lie. And then Jamel was on there. And I was like, all right, cool. I liked watching it with Jamel and then Michael Smith was on here and I was like, this is a cool ass show. Like, Numbers Never Lie. It was, Numbers Never Lie was always a cool show. Like, I always liked watching it. But then when Jamel and Mike got on there, it was even better. Two black people, a black man, black woman on the show and they was kicking it and they was bossing it up with each other. Like I said, they got great chemistry. Like I said, they would have made a good couple to me. They should have got married. I don't know. I'm not disrespecting Michael Smith. I don't know nothing about him. I don't, I don't, I think he got a wife and kids. I'm pretty sure he do. So I'm not disrespecting his wife and kids or nothing by saying this. I just thought like they look cool as shit together. Like they could have either been brothers and sisters or they could have been getting it on. I know they wasn't getting it on. I know they're not in a relationship. I know they wasn't ever in a relationship, but that's the chemistry they had. They be either brother and sister or they was getting it on. They could have been together. But either way, I like the show. And in watching that show, in watching that show, I always thought Mike was going to be the one to get in trouble. Because he was always right on the borderline of cussing. I even think he cussed a couple of times on the show. I even think that my man did say a couple of cuss words on the show. I'm not, I'm not too, yeah, he, I think he slipped up a couple of times for some cuss words. But I always thought he was the one who was going to get in trouble. Because he used to get mad. Like certain issues, certain topics, you could tell he was mad. And Jamel was mad too. And Jamel used to say her little shit. But it was like, she was more on the calm. And Mike looked mad. Jamel would say her shit with a smile. She'd be like, you know, fuck this shit racist but she had a little smile on her face she still was looking cute mike used to be on there looking angry like oh shit this brother is about to say something this brother about to get himself fired from espn he about to get off the air i always thought that mike was gonna be the one to get in trouble and then jamel go ahead and get in trouble jamel let me down i love seeing you on tv you let me down baby no you didn't let me down you never let me down because i'm like you i want to say what the fuck i want to say and and I want to be able to do that. So anyway, let's go back. So they was on his um, Numbers Never Lie. And then Numbers Never Lie got changed the name to his and hers. And I was like, yes. Like, this is a come up. This is a come up. I was so proud. I was already proud of Stephen A. Smith. Uh, and then it's like now Jamel and Mike, like, we doing big things. We making big moves. I was so proud of them. And I watched that show every single day. And then... I heard that Jamel and Michael Smith was going to be um, hosting Sports Center, and I ain't gonna lie. I am not going to lie right now. I'm gonna tell you right now. I knew for a fact. I knew for a fact that that was a bad idea. I didn't like it. I like the fact that it's a promotion. I like the fact that that they was able to move up in ESPN. I like the fact that they was getting recognition for being good, but I did not like the fact that they was going to be hosting Sports Center and they changed it to SC6 and all this and all that. I didn't like that because I know that what I watch Sports Center for as a man. 
I watch the shows because I'm interested in the shows. I watch Dan Levitar's show because I know they're going to say some other shit. They're going to be funny. They're going to do some other shit. I watch First Take because I like to see the banter, the back and forth, the arguing, the the the, the getting your point across, the debating. With Will Kane and, and, and I like when they would skip. Skip Bayless and 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 um and Stephen A. Smith and they had that bender going back and forth. I like you know I like all of that, so I watched that show for that. I watched Dan Levitard's show for the to, for the foolishness <laughs> for the foolishness on their show. I watched um him and hers for the foolishness on their show and the back and forth between her and Michael Smith and the little skits they had, the movie skits and all that stuff. I watched that for that. But when I watch Sports Center, I'm watching Sports Center because I want my highlights. I just want my sports highlights. I want the highlights of the baseball games that I was at work that I missed during the day. I want the highlights of the interviews of practice and the interviews of basketball games that I missed during the day. I want the highlights of the things that I missed during the day. Not first take. I go back and watch that. You know what I mean? You don't watch Sports Center over again. You watch First Take. If I miss First Take during the day, I come home, I DVR the shit, I go back and watch it. If I miss Dan Levitar's show, I got DVR the shit, I go back and watch it. Numbers never lie, DVR the shit, go back and watch it. Sports Center, I don't DVR Sports Center. It comes on, I get home before six, I watch Sports Center. That gives me all my sports highlights. That's what I wanted. If I wanted to see Michael Smith and Jamel go back and forth, I would watch, you know, his and hers. That's what I wanted. So when they got on Sports Center, I'm like, if they. That was like a almost like a um. It was a promotion and demotion at the same time. I'm like, okay, good. They're on Sports Center. They're hosting Sports Center. That's a good thing. But now they can't do their shit. You know what I mean? They can't do their shit that they do. So now his and hers is going for Sports Center. I'm like, no. You know, I wanted them to have both shows or something. I wanted to see her and and they still did it though. The thing is, they still did it. They still did it. I turned on sports in and they still had, they still banter. They still had, they still, they, they still had everything going on that they've been going on. But I'm like, I didn't like it. I liked it because I liked them, but I didn't like it because I'm like, yo, like, I'm trying to see these sports highlights. I, I, you know what I mean? It, it was irritating a little bit because that's not what sports center was for. So I get the whole thing about ESPN saying that the ratings went down. And people didn't want to watch Sports Center at six o'clock with them on there. I understand that, and it's not hate. It's just saying that that wasn't the dynamic of the show. That wasn't the narrative of the show. That wasn't why I watched Sports Center. You know, I like you guys, and I wanted to see you guys on y'all show. I wanted to see y'all skits. I wanted to see y'all do y'all thing. And Sports Center was not y'all thing. So I realized when ESPN started saying that, you know, the ratings was going down, people started talking shit about it. I thought they was going to go back to his and hers or they was going to get a different show or, or a different time side or something. I, I thought ESPN was going to do something else with them. But, you know, whatever. And then in 2017, a black woman in America on her social media, which is supposed to be her shit, her own shit. When she has a right to say what she wants. Now, I know ESPN has some kind of social media guidelines or some kind of social media standards or or whatever rules. I, I, I kind of figured that ESPN has some kind of social media rules for their people. I kind of figured that. So I thought maybe Jamel Hill would have like a burner account, like a, a fake, like a burner account where she could say whatever the fuck she want to say and ESPN wouldn't know about it and she can get away with it. Or But you shouldn't have to do that. You know, you shouldn't have to do that, but I that's what I would have did because, you know, you got to keep your job. You got to keep ESPN ain't fucking around. Like, you know, they got to be politically correct. You know how it go. 
So I would have had a burner account. But Jamel Hill, she was her own woman. She said what she wanted to say. She called Trump a white supremacist. And she said he surrounded himself by white supremacists. And he's the president of the United States. And you know, you can't bat him off the president. Especially not this motherfucker. This Donald Trump is a troll. If he's not anything else, he's a troll for sure. Donald Trump is a troll. Donald Trump lives for conflict. Donald Trump lives for controversy. Donald Trump lives to 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 fight and antagonize people. He loves it. That's his life. He's an asshole. He's a jerk. He's a dick. He loves this shit. And especially when it's coming from a black person, and especially when it's coming from a black woman that we know this man's a womanizer, he's all of the bullshit. Donald Trump is with the shit. So when Jamel Hill says something about Donald Trump, I knew the shit was coming. I knew it was going to be a shit show. I knew it was going to be a shit storm. Donald Trump lives for shit like this. So I knew Jamel ass was in trouble. I was like, no, Jamel, no, no, you didn't say that. But then I'm like, yeah, Jamel, tell that motherfucker. But you know what I mean? It's a two-edged sword. It's like, yeah, Jamel, tell that motherfucker. It's like, no, you're going to get fired, though. Trump's going to shut you down. Cancel culture is real, baby. Cancel culture is coming for you. They coming for you now. You said something about Trump. He's the president. He's going to talk shit. So then, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. What kind of name is Huckabee? Like, what the fuck? Huckabee, though? I knew somebody with a fucked up ass name was going to come for Jamel Huckabee. That's the right person to come for. Your name's fucking Huckabee. And you're going to come for a woman that says something about your president. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that ESPN should fire Jamel. No rat. She said something bad. She called the president of the United States for white supremacy. She should be fired. And I'm just like, fired? <clears throat> fired, though. Like, it's a lot of people calling him a white supremacist. There's a lot of people saying a whole bunch of shit about this man. And this man is crazy. Like, he's with the bullshit, too. He's back and forth with it. He's with it. Like, what? Fire? I was just like, damn. And then I was like, damn, she's going to get fired. I thought she was going to get fired because, look, the president runs the world. Disney runs, Disney is Disney. They run, they own ESPN, the president. They got all this marketing. I was just like, man, you know what? And it's about money too. And I don't know. I, I feel like Donald Trump's the type of person that might have could have pulled some funding or something or could have could have made a mandate. Donald Trump's the type of person that, oh, y'all don't want to find her. I'll go to I'll go to uh to to make a law that Disney World can't open up for years. I don't know what this man's got. I'm like Donald Trump might do anything in his power to get this woman fired. He's got people now saying that she should be fired. And ESPN don't got time to fuck around. They are owned by Disney. They don't have time to fuck around. So if Donald Trump keep talking this shit, he's going to get Jamel fired. And I feel bad for it. And I'm going to come back after these messages with the rest of um, my podcast and, and, um, and the rest of my episode. And I ain't going to get into it. Y'all know why I got to do these commercials. Y'all know why. So I'm going to come back on the flip side. And I'm going to finish talking about Trump and Jamel and, and why, you know. I'll be right back. I'm just going to be back. I ain't even going to sing my little commercial song. If y'all listen to my podcast, y'all know my little song. I ain't going to sing it. I'm just going to tell y'all that I'm going to be right back because I got to do these commercials because even though I'm not making no money now, eventually one day these commercials will pay the bills. Okay? All right. I'll see you on the other side.